Next week, the plan, my plan is we're going to do a very quick review in the sense of, uh, well, I have some thoughts. We'll see how it works together. Uh, you pray about it, and uh, we're going to, what we will do on my plan, part of my plan is that we'll read through the entire book of Philippians in the service and then at the end give you some opportunity. I'm hoping and we should have time at the end of that service uh, just for you to share how the book of Philippians has impacted you. Uh, you know, I, maybe it's over these 12 weeks that we've been looking at. Well, next week it'll be 12 weeks that we've been looking at it or uh, maybe some other way, but uh, specifically I'm hoping that we'll look at it related to the book of Philippians, how it's impacted your life, your living, uh, your attitude. So let's pray, and we're going to get into our passage uh, for today. Father, thank you for your word, and it does make a difference, and it makes a difference in our lives, not just because of the word, but you said your word's alive, it's active, it's, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And we've seen that in our lives, cuts away the fat and also sometimes just pierces and pokes us right where we need to be stabbed. Uh, I pray that you would, again, do that through your word and your truth, that as we look, continue to look into the book of Philippians, that uh, the spirit that guided Paul as he wrote would guide us as we read, as we think, and as we, uh, I hope, interact with your word in a very clear, uh, dynamic way, according to the power, your power. Again, at work within us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Philippians chapter 4 is where we're going to be, page 1083 in the Bible. Uh, we're going to um, look at, at the very end of, of the book, uh, the end of the last chapter. Now, uh, when I was looking at this and studying it, it just reminded me what a great feeling it is to have people in your life that you can depend on to care about you. This is what Paul is reflecting on a little bit, his relationship with the Philippians people who you know who you can look to who you could depend upon and they they'll do what they can to help you because they have a track record of being helpful to you you know they have done it before they've been available to you maybe just to listen maybe to cheer you on maybe to step up and do something they've stepped up stepped in for you physically emotionally financially uh, just take a moment and think just think for a minute when you're feeling down when you're feeling down who would you like to call you know, who is it that you'd like to call when you're feeling down? When you're feeling overwhelmed or mad, who do you want to talk to? You know, who is that person for you? Uh, if you need a ride, if you need help with something, uh, or maybe just picking something up, who is it that you want to answer the phone? You know, when, when you have a financial need, who has helped you? Now, these people that come to mind, they came to mind because they've stood with us. They've stepped in for us. They have been there and, and to help us. They've helped us through difficult times, often more than once. They were repeat defenders in our life. They repeatedly stepped up and stepped in to help and to defend us and, and, and to stand with us and help us in those times in which we needed help. Now, we need to thank God for people like these in our lives, and that's what Paul is doing here in his letter to the Philippians. Uh, back up to verse 10. That's where I'm going to start reading, actually. It's hard to separate out some of these verses. and So I want to back up to verse 10 there of chapter 4. Um, follow along as I, as I read uh, through to the end of the chapter. <clears throat> Paul says, I, rejoice in the, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that once again you renewed your care for me. You were, in fact, concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, 
For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know both how to have a little and I know how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Still, you did well by sharing with me in my hardship. And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, I left Macedonia. Uh, No church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. But I am receiving everything in full, and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Those brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those from Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now last week we looked at uh, verses 10 through 13 really so if you missed that it might be beneficial for you to go back and listen online or ask uh, ask the sound guys to make you a copy of it Um, but reading you know as we read those verses ready reading those again helps us to put this in context context is always important in scripture don't ever forget that context is very important what is the context what are the verses around it saying what are what are the, the the what is the whole book from which these verses are found saying? How does this book fit into the Bible? You need to look at those different aspects of context because we often get in trouble <coughs> and we often follow false teaching because people grab a verse and take it out of context. Some of the verses in Philippians here, some that we'll be looking at today, even are grabbed and are taken taken out of context. And then they mislead people. Instead of leading them in the way God wants them to go, they're misled into the way that others want them to go. Context is huge. Today we're going to pick up our observations with verse 14 again. Paul's under arrest, facing the possibility of execution. It's a tough spot to be in, particularly just being under arrest was a tough spot to be in, but particularly then when you add that that threat of death of execution there it you know it just the pressure gets even worse now during hardships during hardships during tough times that is often a time that we lose friends it seems you know cuz we will even say you know when they should be stepping up they're stepping away what's going on there's a lot of reasons and if we stop to think about it and it's not always easy to do when you're in the midst of it but when we stop to think about it there's a lot of reasons one just simply may be well you're not fun anymore i we had friends step away from us because we weren't fun anymore before we came to christ you know i told you before you know we used to we used to uh, spend weekends um, uh, partying and things and um, we had some friends that, that really that's all we did with them. And when we came to Christ and then I got to the place where I realized coming to Christ means I needed to change the way I was behaving and the things I was doing and how I was spending my weekends. We still go to church. How's that for a hypocrite? Well, it's not a hypocrite. It's somebody who needs Christ. 
I mean, isn't that what we're all here for? We're here because we need Christ. We're here because we need to grow in Christ. They say that a church is full of hypocrites. No, the church is full of sinners. And it should be. But so is the world. You see, the thing is that we're just sinners that are looking for help. Well, you know, so when we came to Christ and I got to that place where I realized, you know, this is inconsistent with what I'm claiming to be. And, and I can remember we drove to these friends' home and they lived in Joliet, Illinois. And uh, we drove down there. We were sitting in their living room. And we were talking to them about Christ and stuff. And they thought it was a joke. And the husband invited me to do what we normally do. Let's go into the kitchen and start, you know, drinking shots and stuff. And, um, and I'm not going to do that anymore, man. You know, that's, that was the last time we saw him because we weren't fun anymore. You see, now we weren't on, we, we weren't in hardship at that point, but you know, you, you lose some friends simply because you're not fun anymore. And when you fall into hardships, you're not, you know, you're not fun anymore. And sometimes they just, they just don't know how to respond to you. So avoiding you is their answer. It's not that they dislike you. It's just, they don't know, they don't know how to respond. You know, so they, they, they just avoid you. Maybe they feel partially responsible for your hardship. You know, maybe they're avoiding you because they feel a little guilty because of what you're going through. Or it could be that it just brings back painful memories for them. You know, it's, it's hard sometimes to have to relive pain. And so maybe they're withdrawing because of that. And we have to admit, too, that sometimes when we go through hardship, it brings out the worst in us. And we're the ones driving them away. You know, that we're the ones. <laughs> I, was just, I was just on uh, some medicine. Um, the allergies had gotten to a point, you know, this has been a fun time for those of us with allergies, which I didn't know I had until, you know, several years ago. But So anyway, the allergies built up to a place where it... Uh, closed apparently, you know, the inflammation closed my eustachian tube. I had this horrific earache <coughs> and stuff, so I went in, they gave me prednisone. The guy said, it'll have mood swings. Mood swings, I said, what do you mean? No, but anyway, um, <coughs> they explained that to us when we pulled up to the drive-thru at the, at the pharmacy to get the stuff, and the pharmacist, well, I have mood swings. It looked past me at Ginny. I thought, what? It's my medicine, you know, but anyway, uh, you know, sometimes we, you know, we can, we can drive people away because of our, the way we respond to what's going on in our life. We need to be honest with those things. But you know, those friends that stick with you in hardships are the ones that will help you rejoice. Those ones that are there through those hardships, you know, because they're there and they, they get to help you rejoice as well. And what a great thing that is, you know, particularly when they share your load when they share in that load of carrying that hardship. That's what happened here for Paul. He says to the Philippians, you gave me, you gave me help again and again. And, and it says through Epaphroditus, they sent Epaphroditus, if you recall, you know, 12 weeks ago or so, 10 weeks ago, when we were looking at this and it was talking about Epaphroditus, and we said they sent him there. He was sending Epaphroditus back uh, with an explanation that, you know, the dude, sorry, you know, he, he really needs to be with you people. Uh, but he wanted to make sure because they sent Epaphroditus along with an offering. So they sent financially to help. And they sent Epaphroditus there to help uh, as well. They were sharing in the load of the hardships that they had. They were standing with Paul. And they were standing with him in as many ways as they could. 
We're called to help our fellow Christ followers when they face hardship as well. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Brothers, if someone is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now look at the goal here. The goal here is to restore. The goal is to restore. He says, so, you know, while that's your goal, now he says, watch out for yourselves that you won't be tempted. Because, you see, what we do sometimes instead of restore, we sometimes, we, we, we get in there. To restore means you're restoring them to a relationship with Christ, not that you're trying to get them to do what you want them to do. Not that you're trying to get them to stop doing what bugs you. Or even that, you, you know, that you're trying to get them to stop sinning. You, you know, you, what you're trying to do is, is get them into a good relationship with Christ. And then Christ will lead them and teach them, just like I was sharing earlier. You may get to the point where they say, you know what, I realize this isn't consistent with my Christian life. But it's so much more effective when God is the one who does that instead of the fact that, quit bugging me. You see... The goal is always to restore. The whole tenor of Scripture is that restoration message. The restoration of, of man and God due to sin and the restoration of man and man due to stupidity and sin. He says, so, you know, the goal here is that you restore. Now, notice what he says. With a gentle spirit. There's the method. The goal is restoration of a relationship with God, first of all, and then a relationship with each other. And the method there is with a gentle spirit. There is absolutely no question in my mind that one of the reasons God gave me Ginny as my wife is because I needed help in this area. Now, not that just, not just that she's more gentle than I am, but she is also the one who speaks into my life very often reminding me you need to be a bit more gracious there buddy i don't know that she's ever used that exact phrase but you know the, the whole the whole point you know of pointing out to me that it is this gentle spirit there's the method <coughs> you know it's that restoration with a gentle spirit he says part of the way we do that is that we carry one another's burdens to carry, to take up is what the word means. To take up or carry, take up their burdens. You know, the, the burdens, the, the weight, whatever it is that's weighing them down. Whatever is weighing them down, that's what you help take up. Don't add more to their burdens. Don't, don't tell them, you know, some other ways in which they're messing up. Do what you can. You will do well when you share with others in hardship. Paul said, Man, I'm so, this is a paraphrase, I'm so grateful for you dudes because you have stepped up again. You have stepped up and helped me. And you will do well when you share with others in hardships. This is not the first time they helped Paul. They were repeat defenders in helping Paul with hardships. A little bit later in Galatians, we, look, we looked at the first two verses. A little bit later in Galatians 6, he goes on. He says, so we must not get tired of doing good, for we'll we, we will reap at the proper time if we don't get up. We must not get tired of doing good. It can be weary, wearying, wearing. 
and you keep doing good and, and maybe they keep messing up or you keep, you come alongside and they just stay down, you know, and, and we're trying to encourage them, but we don't seem to be helping. You know, sometimes just being there is helping. I have said to many of you, and I'll, and I'll say it to you again sometimes when you're going through stuff, you can call me even if it's just a complaint. Because you know what we need sometimes? Someone we can complain to. Because we've got to get that pus out. We've got to puke on somebody. Sometimes you're helping. Even though you may not, it may not seem like it's you because all you're getting is just complaints. You know, sometimes that's what they need to get out so that they can get to this place of healing. He said, don't get tired of doing good. Don't get tired of it because you know what? God's going to get them through. We're so used to taking a pill and everything's better. Sometimes that's not how it works. Some things take a long time, not only physically, but emotionally and spiritually. Sometimes it takes a while. You ever try to climb up a mud hill? And before you're done and you're slipping the slide and you are covered with mud. Sometimes we are spiritually trying to make it up that mud hill. And we got to get to the top. But the enemy and all sorts of other things and it keeps sliming things up and we keep slipping and sliding and making a mess. And we need to keep going. We need to keep pushing. We need to be able to be there. We need to continue on with that. Second Thessalonians says much the same thing. Brothers, don't grow weary in doing good. Don't grow weary in doing good. When I do some work around the house, I know I'm going to get dirty. It's just the nature of what i got to get into. Same with you. I've told you before about this little guy across the street from us. You know, one of the, no question in my mind, one of the reasons God put us there. And I hadn't seen him in quite a while. You know, it's school and different things and, well, school and video games and stuff like that. Well, um, I was just praying, you know, Lord, I, I, I really, you know, I kind of need to connect with Jacob again. And <laughs> I go outside, lo and behold, Jacob comes pedaling over on this little pedal go-kart he's got. Now, it's a big pedal go-kart that he's got, you know, an adult can sit in it. And uh, he said, the seat's loose. Well, so I got out the tools and I started work on it. And, well, and it turned out the thing was stripped. So I said, okay, I'll drill this out and tap it and stuff. And I needed to get a bolt and needed to do other things. In the meantime, I wasn't dressed in work clothes at all. You know, I mean, I had on, well, okay, these are probably some of my better clothes. But, you know, I had, I had on nicer stuff. And I wasn't ready to get dirty at all. And here I am now. I'm uh, Instead of just tightening this bolt up, I'm out there and I'm drilling holes and I'm tapping holes. And I'm, you know, and sent his grandma to get a bolt and, you know, bolting all this thing together. <laughs> Then every day that week, Jacob came over with something else for me to do on this go-kart of his. And none of the times I was dressed or ready to do it. You see, sometimes, sometimes when, when we think of this, you know, it, it, don't, don't weary in doing good. Don't weary in doing it. And sometimes you'll get messy when you're not ready for it. But don't weary. Don't, don't, don't let it, you'll, Paul, didn't have to be right there in front of them for him, them to help him. 
He didn't have to pedal over there on his go-kart and say, help me out, guys. He didn't have to do that at all. For them to remember and help him, they heard about his arrest, they knew he was in a situation needing help, and they sprung into action. Remembering someone's need is really of no value at all all, unless you act on it. Just remembering them really doesn't do any good unless you act on it. Unless you do something about it. They couldn't do all they wanted to right away. <coughs> and in fact, he says, you know, he says that there, you know, they, they, I, you, you know, you wanted to help, but you, but you really, you couldn't. But you know what? They didn't stop. They continued to try to do things here. It didn't stop them. They gathered funds for Paul. You know, while it may not have seemed like they were doing anything there, they were putting together, you know, some scratch for him to help him over, you know, to, to be able to They recruited a worker. They got Epaphroditus, somebody who could go and, and whatever they had to do to be able to get him to the place where he was freed up to be able to travel over there. And that's what they did. They continued to look for opportunities to act. It's easy to quit. Just simply do nothing. If you do nothing, you quit. And here they, they kept on, you know, it's doing nothing satisfies self. That's all it does. You haven't helped the need at all. It's a selfish action. It's totally self-centered. And our doing nothing is not pleasing to God. He has called us to act on it. Help others as God calls you to. Help others. This is what God is calling us to. He said, you know, he's, he's, he talks to them, and, you know, and, and, he, and he encourages them, and, and he tells them, you know, he said, you know, in the early days, nobody helped me, but you guys did. You sent gifts several times, several times. Why? Because God said several times. They didn't just give once and say, you know what? <clears throat> that was pretty good. We helped Paul. Way to go. We can put that, you know, I, I'm going to put that in the minutes. Helped Paul. And we'll go on to the next thing. No, they didn't. They over and over again. And that may be what God calls it. When you help others as God directs you, you're doing what Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 6, storing up treasures in heaven. He says, don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But collect for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, There your heart will be also. We pile up stuff here and we leave it all behind. We had a neighborhood association garage sale Friday and Saturday. And so what it was is we all piled up. We got open the garage doors and we put all this stuff that we've been piling up and we don't need anymore out there and asked somebody else to buy it. And so they did. They came by and they bought it. One of my neighbors went by and stopped by to see what we had for sale. And I was talking with her, and uh, her name's Michelle. And you know, I said, Michelle, you know, I said, do you guys have, are you selling stuff? No, she says, I just got a truck full. Uh, she was going around buying it, you know. And, and what, I wanted to go to this one guy's house because he does woodwork, and I wanted to see what tools and stuff he had. Well, I didn't make it, but I might go knock on his door some other day. But, you know, there's a point. You see what we do? We, we, we get to pile all this stuff up, but we leave it all behind. When we step up and, and we step in and use what we have to help others, we show that our trust and faith is in God. And what we do is we send a treasures on ahead when we step up and we step in and help. 
When we follow God, notice what, how it's described, how he describes it there. When we help others in need, he says, it has come up before God as a fragrant offering, a welcome sacrifice pleasing to God. That's a picture of Old Testament sacrifices. The Old Testament sacrifices were given not only in obedience, but it was a sign of trust as well. It was a sign that they were obeying God, and it was a sign that they trusted God. <coughs> and I can give this to you, God. Why? Because I am trusting you have called me and told me to give this, but I am trusting you that I'm not going to lack because of what I, what, what I gave. It's, it's showing that, that we could trust in him as well. Wouldn't it be great to hear, as he says here, that you're living in a way that's pleasing to God? Really, that's the application there in verse 18. You know, choose to live in a way that pleases God. Just choose to live in a way that pleases God. That's what they did. He says, you know, you gave this stuff to me over and over again. He says, you know, and you were a help to me. And then he says, you went on. I've received everything in full. I have an abundance. I'm full of supply. Receiving everything from Epaphroditus. You provided a fragrant offering, acceptable offering, pleasing to God. What a, what, what a great way to live. Live in a way that pleases God. Why would you choose to live in a way that doesn't please God? It's, it seems like an odd question. It would indeed be very foolish, but we've all made that foolish choice before, haven't we? We've made that choice. How do we live in a way that pleases God? The passage here in Philippians, you know, it fits right in with a passage from Hebrews. Hebrews 13, verse 16, he says, Don't neglect to do what is good and to share, for God is pleased. There's a phrase, there's the phrase. God is pleased with such, such sacrifices. Two things are very clear. When you choose to do what is good, this is what he's saying, when you do what is good repeatedly as a way of life, doing what is good as a way of living, it says then God is pleased with the way you live. That is good is defined by God, not as defined by society or even by ourself. It, it, you know, what our society says is good is often bad. Well, I shouldn't say often. What society says is good is sometimes bad, is sometimes sinful. Not always, but sometimes it is. But you see, the good that we're talking about when he says to do what is good, it's good that is defined by God. And not good is defined by our own feelings because it's not our own feelings that we're looking to please. It's God that we're looking to obey and God that we're looking to please, not our feelings. But he also says that, you know, that you learned that he, they shared with him. God is also pleased when you learn to share with what he's provided. Sharing is a decision not to keep, but to help others with what God has put under your care. That's simply what it is. Just sharing with others what God has put under your care. Not indiscriminately, but also not selfishly. Not to see how much I can keep for myself. Not to see how little I can help, but what can I do to help. And notice that it's called sacrifices. Because it's not always easy. It costs us something. It costs us something to help people. And that's sometimes why we don't do it, because we don't, we, we don't want it to cost us something. We like to help at our own convenience, when it fits our own schedules, when it fits our own, our own likes and dislikes. That's self-centered way to live. And it makes me, it, 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 it makes me take precedence over your needs. I'm putting myself first, not at all like the example of Jesus, the total opposite of the example of Jesus who came and gave his life. Why? That we may live. Not because he had a need, because we had a need. And we just celebrated communion. The broken body shed blood of Christ came. Why? Because we had a need, and he was meeting that need. 
It's a generosity with our time, our finances. Notice that it says sacrifices, plural. More than once. Repeatedly. A way of living. Several other passages that mention about God, about, about pleasing God. Uh, Hebrews 11, by faith, Enoch was taken away so he did not experience death. For he was not able, he was not found because God took him away. For prior to his removal, he was approved uh, since he had pleased God. There's a phrase, since he had pleased God. Now without faith, it is impossible to please God. For the one who draws near to him must believe that he existed and rewards those who seek him. Living a life of faith pleases God, he tells us here. Now, when we talk about faith, it's not just a mental acknowledgement, but it's talking about a faith. Faith affects your living. Faith affects your living. If it does, if it's not affecting your living, it's not faith. It might just be some knowledge you have stored in your head somewhere. But faith always affects living. And don't ever forget, everyone lives by faith. Every single person alive, lives by faith. Some, that, see, the, here's, our, here's our challenge. We always associate faith with, with God. No, some do live by faith in God. Some live by faith in science. Some live by faith in themselves. But everyone, everyone in this world lives by faith. The only faith that will save you is a faith in what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for us, that broken body and shed blood. And that's the only faith that will save you. But it's a faith in Christ that affects your living. If it's not affecting your living, you may not have the faith that you think you have. Living a life of faith pleases God. Psalm 69. I will praise God's name with song and exalt him with thanksgiving. That will please Yahweh more than an ox. More than a bull. It's going to please him more. What's going to please him more than giving these sacrifices? A life marked by praise. A life marked by praise. What's the last thing you actually thank God for? <coughs> I'm not saying where you sat down and said, Oh, Lord, thank you for this food. Because you really didn't. Okay, maybe you did. Oftentimes that just rolls off our tongue more than pours from our heart. You know, but what's a how much would you have if all you had were the things that you actually thanked God for? How much, how, what would you actually have if, if all you had were the things you actually thanked God for? Some of us would be homeless, penniless, and friendless. I don't want to hurt your feelings, but we're going to move on. You know, Psalm 69 tells us living, you know, living a life that regularly praising God means more to Him. More to him than sacrifice. That's impressive to me. Colossians chapter 3. Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. I'm not just talking to the kids here. Don't dismiss this. Don't dismiss this just because you're parents. Don't live like a Pharisee and go to the letter of the law and miss the spirit of the law, which he's telling us here. What is this? This is the God-designed authority structure that he put up there. Godly, God-instituted authority. God also established governments, and we're told to obey our to obey our government officials. Repeatedly, you live this way because it pleases the Lord. You don't live this way. If you have more respect, if you have more respect for president for the office of president because Trump's in there than you did when Obama's in there, then you have a problem. 
If you had more respect for the office of president when Obama was in there than you did when, when Bush was in there, then you have a problem. Because you see, we are told to obey those authority structures that God has set up, and he tells us that he has set up government authorities. And I believe this is what the, the, the thrust of this verse here is not just simply, you know, that, that parents, that children obey parents. It's that you repeatedly live this way according to the Lord. Second Timothy chapter two. No one, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life, but he seeks to please the recruiter. Who's your recruiter? Who called you to Christ? I'm not talking about the person. What I'm talking about is realizing that God is the one. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It's what the gift of God. He's the one who's called you. And what we're, what we're supposed to do then, you know, it, it, ple- it pleases God when you live with, with a, a single-minded devotion to Jesus Christ. When that's where your focus is, and it's on him, and it's not on all those, not getting entangled, it says here, in the concerns of civilian life. Now, that doesn't mean that we crawl in a hole for protection. That's not what it means at all, because Jesus told us to be in the world, but not of the world. So he's not telling us here, you know, to hide. What he's saying is, you don't let anything, you don't let anything divert you from living out this devotion to Christ. Let nothing divert you from living out this devotion to Christ. Well, well, then my neighbor's not going to talk to me. Let nothing divert you from living out this devotion to Christ. Well, then everybody at work's going to think I'm a nerd. Oh, don't let anything divert you from this devotion to Christ. Well, that, you know, I might lose my job. Don't let anything divert you from devotion to Christ. Yes, sometimes it's costly. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, very familiar to most of us. Maybe it's new to some of you, but it's very familiar to many. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, the verse we looked at in communion. We're not going to go without when we live our lives for God. You say, well, wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. You see, here's the question again, what life are we living for? A concern of doing for others and helping others sometimes will hold us back. And a concern of living for God sometimes can hold us back. It can hold us back from giving. It can hold us back from helping others, you know, as God calls us to live. But we're told here, God will supply all we need for ourselves. Everyone is limited in their ability to help. We are all limited in our ability to help. We can only give what we have. I can only give away what is under my control. I cannot lend your car to someone else. I, 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 I can't. I cannot invite someone to live with you. I, just pack your bags. Walt and Connie will be there. You know, just go, just go, knock on the door. They got an empty bedroom. Yeah, it, it, I can't do that. I cannot give away your money and your resources. Here's the thing we need to remember. You know, I. I, I I don't have control over what you have, but I do have control over what God has given me. And what I need to do is I should use it all according to God's direction. I should use everything I have according to God's direction. When I was working on this sermon, uh, there was a, a 
couple of stories that came up on the news that had my attention. One is about one, what is about a guy named Bob Smith, interestingly enough, Robert Smith. Um, he is a, a billionaire philanthropist, and he decided to pay off the student loans of the 2019 graduating class from Morehouse College. He was invited to be their guest speaker, and my guess is he's got a lot of other invitations to be guest speaker rolling in at the moment. Uh, but he was invited to be their guest speaker, and he paid, He said what he was going to do is he was going to pay off the student loans for every single senior, graduating senior there at Morehouse College that year. They said they expect that that was gonna, is going to cost him about $40 million. It's a very nice gift. It really is. But it only helps one class at one school for one year. And there was a story this week about, maybe you heard this one, Mackenzie Bezos. Uh, Mackenzie Bezos, if the name seems familiar to you or it doesn't, uh, she was married to Jeff, and uh, together they started this little company called Amazon, selling books, I think, out of their garage when they started. I don't really know. But uh, Amazon, as you know, has, has done fairly well. And um, so Jeff, in his wisdom, decided that, um, you know, he... he you know, he turned 40, and actually he's over 40, and uh, he decided that he was going to trade in his wife for a younger model. And um, so that's what he did. And so in the meantime, she said, well, okay, but remember this little company we started together, half of that's mine. And uh, so she got, as you see there, uh, $35 million, excuse me, $35 billion with a B-B-B. And she's decided she's going to give half of it away. She's going to, and she is also getting a lot of letters right now and probably a lot of marriage proposals. But so she's going to give away $17.5 billion. Again, this is a very nice gift. And I'm not belittling these things at all. So if you think I am, you're really missing the point. This is, this is a huge gift. That's an understatement. This is a massive gift. But you know, it's going to fall far short of meeting all the needs that are out there. As big as that is. Notice what it says in that verse. God promises to supply all the needs of all his people. Not limited to one class over one year. Not limited to see how far $17.5 billion can stretch. He says that he's going to meet all the needs. You know, now remember, he said that he's going to meet all the needs, not all the greeds of his people, but all the needs of his people. Not all you want, but all you need. Now, the level here is according to God's riches, which are unlimited. Not limited to 40 million, not limited to 17 and a half billion, but it's unlimited to meet all of the needs and more. According to his riches also means that he knows what's best for us, which he does. He knows our needs even better than we do. He will not confuse our needs and our greeds. And he says these will be met. Notice what he says, in Christ Jesus, through our relationship with Jesus. This is a verse where context is huge. And the context is meeting those needs and meeting those in Christ Jesus. Not where, some, as some preachers do, 
grab this verse out and say, God will meet all your needs. All you need to do then is share what he has and send in your money to me, Creflo or, you know, whoever it might be, uh, you know, and send all, send, you know, you send a thousand dollars to me and God's going to bless you with $10,000. This isn't what this verse says. You know, like those, that one old lady, uh, that sound bad. Let me rephrase that. Like that one lady in the commercial, you know, that says, that's not at all how this works. You know, uh, that's not at all how this verse... We never put God in obligation to us. If you think you put God in obligation to you because you did something, you're wrong. You're wrong. I don't know how much clearer I could put that then. You're wrong. God is not obligated to you because you did something. That's not what this verse teaches us at all. What he's saying is, is, is through Christ Jesus, we will find our needs met in our relationship with Christ, not independent of him, not because of what we've done, because of what he did, not because of something we do. And it's not just our spiritual needs. God provides for all of the needs, physical, emotional as well. He said, well, I did, I, you know, I, I've been praying and I didn't get better. Paul prayed he didn't get better. He said, you know what I learned? He said, I learned that God's grace is sufficient. You see, because again, God knows our needs, and it's not because of what we think we need or how we think things should go, but according to what God knows. And that should draw our attention and fix our attention on God, which he says in verse 20, now to our God and Father, to him be glory forever and ever. The glory always goes to God, not to us for the giving. It goes to God. I don't want my name on a building. I don't even want my name on a bench. I want Jesus in the heart of those I help. This is what he calls us to. This is what Paul was called to. Verse 21, 22, 23, there's somewhat typical closing greetings for Paul. Sometimes he mentions names specifically, but this is this is a typical, you know, Hey, all these Christians with us, greet all those Christians with you. All these brothers, man, we just send good greetings to you, you know, and, He's in jail. Get that picture. He's not talking from one church to another. He's talking from being under arrest to a church here. And he's exchanging these. It's just a great reminder for us, you know, to greet others in a relationship with Christ. Why? Because we're connected with Christ. At least be friendly. There's a thought, you know. At least be friendly. Repeatedly. You know, make this a way you live. Be a repeat defender. Be a repeat defender of those in need. As you repeatedly share with others in hardship, as you repeatedly act on the needs you know about, helping as God calls you to, as you repeatedly choose to live in a way that pleases God, and repeatedly use all that you have in God's direction. Now when I say repeatedly, I don't simply mean over and over. What I mean is to choose a lifestyle that will cause God to rejoice in you. A lifestyle that will cause God to rejoice in you. What a great picture. What a great life. Next week we're going to review, just read through the whole book again, give you opportunity to reflect on what God has been teaching you, how God has used the book of Philippians in your life.